Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, May 19th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We talk with the chief about the increased enforcement of COVID-19 restrictions we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Next, it's another edition of Ask the Doctor with infectious disease specialist Dr. Craig Janney. As always, Dr. Janney answers COVID-19 questions sent in by you, the listener. Do you know what a code pink is? We get the definition and find out how the phrase is being used to help shine a light on the mental health of Canadian kids. And finally, your kids are on TikTok, but how about you? And have you considered using the social media platform to bolster your business? We talk with a TikTok coach on why you should be on the app. 7.09, and uh, we love this day. Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld joins us for his monthly visit with us here on the Morning News. So we say good morning, Chief Newfeld. Hey, good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andrew. Thank you for being with us. Lots to cover today, lots that we want to chat with you about. First off, uh, let's touch on COVID-19 health measure enforcements. It must feel good now that uh, you've been giving, given a little more, you and your officers, a, a little more ability to move forward and, and perhaps hand out tickets where needed. Yeah, I think the framework that was developed recently and the, and the tools that were uh, provided there, uh, I think, have actually helped things out. A little bit more immediacy to um, the sanctions, but I think one thing that's really important to know is that um, ideally we'd arrest nobody for this, but uh, if you are getting arrested under this uh, injunction, it's because you will have it no other way. So again, we're targeting the repeat offenders and folks who don't want to uh, cooperate at this important time, and, and that's really who's uh, been subject to this order. Wow. And yeah, what, what does it mean to the service to, to know that it's meaningful and, and things are getting done? Yeah, it, it is helping a lot. I think, um, like I say, on the one hand, we would prefer to arrest nobody. Um, we'd like to see uh, voluntary compliance. But at the same time, I think uh, we were seeing that the ticketing regime was not having any impact because, of course, um, the, the consequences and the sanctions were so far down the road that it wasn't changing behavior in the short term. So there was a real focus on, especially in this third wave, to say, um, with the pressure on the healthcare um, services and that sort of thing, we need to actually be able to do something that actually prevents the spread of COVID-19 right now, not lets it happen anyway and then deals with it at some point down the line. So this has been a real improvement. Mm-hmm. With the ability for most of us now to go and get our vaccines, does the CPS do anything to kind of ensure that officers are going ahead and getting vaccinated where they it's possible for them? Yeah, for sure. So we'd, we'd actually uh, encourage all of our people, obviously, to uh, participate in the in the vaccine campaign. But we had um, had uh, advocated for, in particular, our frontline officers to be prioritized in the vaccine rollout in Phase 2C. They were prioritized. So we've got about 1,100 and some odd officers there that have been identified that can go and get their vaccines, and that's occurring now. Um, but of course, even prior to that, you know, folks who were the right age or who fit into other categories were going ahead um, using uh, the other um, criteria as well to start. So, yeah, so the vaccine rollout obviously is happening here in CPS too, so that's a good thing. Something we haven't talked about, uh, Chief, is the fact that, yeah, you have a lot of civilians and you maybe have some support staff also that don't have to be in the district offices or Westwinds. Do you still have a large component of uh, CPS employees working from home? We do, yeah, we, we sure do. It's, uh, it's funny, uh, Andrew, probably between the first and second wave, we started looking at bringing people back, but then it was you know, quite clear in the predictions that we were going to see the second wave. And so uh, we've actually maintained uh, the work-from-home arrangements as much as we uh, possibly could. So, yes, we still do have quite a few that are, that are working under that, uh, that, uh, those arrangements. 
Chief, let's talk about uh, something that's coming up at just days. In fact, with residential speed limits changing. So obviously we know what that means for drivers. What will be what the officers will be doing as we move into this phase, the first phase of this? Is it about educating or will you be handing out tickets? So what is that going to look like, do you think? Yeah, it'll be a pretty significant change, I think, Sue, for uh, for uh, drivers. Um, I think you'll see a lot of uh, information come out through, you know, community newsletters and in the in the local media and that sort of thing to help alert people after May 31st that the that the limits have gone down from 50 to 40. So officers will be focusing on education, of course. I wouldn't want to say that there would be no tickets. I think if if we saw something egregious or something that was really unsafe, um, we would be writing the ticket anyway. Um, as always, but for the most part, you know, if you're going 45 in a residential zone or whatever, I don't think you have to worry. Um, in the short term, there will be lots of transition time. All right. Now, with that warmer weather, and I know that personally my uh, street was cleaned yeah, uh, Monday, as a matter of fact, in case everybody wants to know. Um, <laughs> but we're seeing more motorcycles on the road. Also, Safety Awareness Month. So what tips do you have for the summer driving season? Yeah, I think, the, the as you say, uh, Andrew, uh, May is Motorcycle Safety Month here, and that's an important uh, time of year. And you're quite right. I think after the um, roadways get cleaned, you start to see a, a real uh, increase in the number of motorcycles on the road. But, you know, we had uh, five um, fatalities there with respect to uh, motorcycles there last year, even though there was less um, less um, traffic on the road, and I think about 90 other collisions. So we know that motorcycle users are vulnerable users on the roadway because, of course, they're not as well protected. So I think the big thing, you know, for drivers is just to remember that the motorcycles are coming back and just to be be wary. Um, I think anything that prevents you from being distracted actually helps you to be focused on the road and be mindful of, of you know, areas where people can get caught, like... Um, you know, uh, blind spots Mm -hmm. uh, in your vehicle and double checking. And for the motorcyclists too, I think very important to be uh, very dialed into what you're doing and watch the speeds. I think that's one of the, one of the critical things, you know, is uh, left turns and intersections and that sort of thing where maybe motorcycles are going faster than what a motorist might expect. And you see left turns oftentimes where the motorist thinks they have time to make the turn and because of the speed of the motorcycle there, they don't. And so that's, uh, that's one thing that causes a lot of collisions. You know, speaking of the warm weather, I believe it came out last week, maybe even the week before, just a reminder from CPS also to kind of do that check at the house before everybody goes to bed to make sure there's no uh, no chance for a crime of opportunity at your home. Yeah, you know what, that's really important. And we've come back out with the branded program there, the 9 p.m. routine. Mm-hmm. We found that's actually a really helpful program just to remind people as the weather gets nicer, I think you get more people out and about. And, you know, even little things like, you know, you go in from the yard uh, toward the end of the night, and I had this actually happen where I shut the garage door, and then, you know, if something was between the eye or whatever, and it popped back up. So, you know, just these little things or leaving your car unlocked or leaving your uh, garage door opener in your car parked in the driveway. There's there's so many really little things that are simple that we can do that actually are so helpful to prevent crime. Uh, taking the valuables out of your car and making sure that things are locked up, I think. Uh, it's just good to remind uh, Calgarians that uh, these are crimes of opportunity and, and very small uh, things checking around at 9 o'clock can actually reduce those opportunities. I know that last year, uh, well, let's, talk, let's start this off by saying that we're looking at our summer festival season, summer events here in the city. And I think last year was that the Calgary Police Half Marathon went virtual. So I'm wondering if you can give us an update on the status of this year's uh, Calgary Police Marathon. Yeah, you know what? The group that is arranging the marathon is such a great group of people. Uh, but the last uh, two years have been, uh, I think we had one cancellation there because of uh, poor weather. 
in 2019, and then last year, of course, uh, the, the event went virtual. This year, I know they've bumped it uh, to October, and they're certainly looking at uh, trying to have it in person. So as the vaccines roll out, I think there's a hope that later in the year we'll see a return to uh, something closer to normal anyway, and maybe we could have that event uh, in real life. So they are organizing, they are fully focused on it and shooting for October. Uh, if they do end up uh, having to transition it to virtual, they will, but the plan is in person. Good news, and I'm sure you'll be... Are you training now for it? You just started? <laughs> I, I, I'm always... Uh, in my mind, too, I'm yeah. always training. <laughs> I'm with you. Me, too. Uh, we wanted, before we let you go, say congratulations, uh, Chief Mark Newfeld, just named new president of the Alberta Association of Chiefs of Police, so congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, always happy to work with... Uh, we've got a great group of chiefs in the province, and I think right now, more than ever, it's really important that we highlight the good work that the men and women uh, in our province are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it becomes a bit of an echo chamber, and you hear a lot of negative, but we've got a great foundation, and, and honestly, our uh, our policing services is the envy of the developed world, frankly, and so I think we need to celebrate what's going well. Uh, certainly room for improvement in, in certain areas, and, and that's all good, but I think we have to celebrate the good work our men and women are doing. Absolutely. Well, congrats, and thanks for your time this morning. See Chief. you on the running trail. <laughs> thanks. Have a great day. <laughs> that is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. It's 8-12, and throughout the pandemic, we've been posing your COVID-19 questions to our expert, and we continue this morning thanks to an overwhelming number of questions we've had over the past few weeks. So we say good morning to Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Jenny. Hello again, Dr. Jenny. Good morning. And again, not too late to get your questions in, 403-974-8255. And that is where, uh, Dr. Jenny, we've we've been back and forth with the texter this morning, and I said I'd put this question to you, so I need your opinion on this one. The texter says, it sounds like the numbers may be showing that more people are being harmed by the vaccines than COVID-19 itself. Your thoughts on that statement? No, I think the evidence is pretty clear that that is not true. So we are seeing uh, expected side effects, and that is true with any vaccine, any medication. But in fact, these side effects are even lower than what we've been seeing in the clinical trials. And importantly, if we look, for example, at the fatality rate in Alberta, that has come down dramatically, despite the fact we still have a record number of active cases in the community. So if we look at the third wave compared to the second wave, the protection to the Alberta public is very impressive that our our fatality rate has dropped and we are seeing that those people that are fully vaccinated, the the older demographics in Alberta are no longer the ones that are representing the bulk of our hospital cases. So there's very clear protection not only from death but even from severe disease in the fully vaccinated populations here in Alberta. So that, in my opinion, is very encouraging news and very clear evidence that the vaccine is preventing disease and preventing uh, health problems in those that are fully vaccinated. Here's another one that maybe is a little more myth-busting. This texter saying there are hospitals in the USA and probably in Canada where for the last two months, people who have had two shots are the only ones in the ICUs, some with COVID, some without. But even two shots, people are still getting sick enough to put them in the ICU. Do you know if there's any uh, research to back that? 
So the studies we have seen out of the U.S. actually argue the exact opposite, that the, the two shots, uh, although they can get break, what they term breakthrough infection, this rate is very tiny, so far below, again, the clinical trials of 95% protection. So the last numbers I saw were just over 5,000 breakthrough cases in about 17 million vaccinated people. So this is a tiny percentage, and almost all of those were mildly or moderately symptomatic. They were not in the intensive care units. And data released from BC this week said exactly the same thing, that the vast majority of the people that are in their hospitals are not fully vaccinated. I think this next one is more for the people who had the AstraZeneca as the first shot, and it's some clarification needed when it comes to uh, shot number two. What is the latest on the research as to the mixing and matching of vaccines, and when will we have an answer on whether or not that's effective? an ongoing clinical trial and we need to wait for that to finish and it's expected to finish in the next few weeks before we have the full data for, for Health Canada and NASI to review. But they did release last week some interim results, so early results from a trial in the United Kingdom, which is suggesting that mixing the vaccine doses, so AstraZeneca first followed by Pfizer, was quite effective and in fact generated better immunity than if we followed AstraZeneca with AstraZeneca. What was reported, and I think it's what a lot of people may have seen in the media, is that side effects were more common. So there was a slight increase in those adverse events. However, there was not an increase in severe events. So it was uh, a few more people were reporting injection site soreness or redness of the skin or feeling tired or perhaps feverish. So those mild conditions were, were more frequent, but we did not see anything that is in the severe category uh, above the standard vaccine uh, uh, program and, and no additional concerns. So minor side effects up a little bit, but actually better immunity, better protection at the end of the day. Good news. Uh, this one, has the mRNA technology been used in a population before the Moderna Pfizer vaccines? So not at, not for a human vaccine level, but there had been plenty of research. These were in development for agricultural vaccines, but also for other therapies, just not for vaccination. So we weren't starting from zero. We had years and years of work on this technology, but just not had brought it. We had not yet brought it together under an infectious disease uh, vaccine platform. So. It allowed the first part of, of the, the development to go pretty quickly. We had the pieces, and as a result, we were, we, we were able to develop the vaccine without shortening any of the safety windows. We just got the first part of development done more quickly. Dr. Janning, we have to take a quick uh, time out for traffic. Can you join us for another couple minutes? Of course. More with the infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney, coming up. 820 mornings with Sue and Andy. More with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary, answering your COVID-19 questions. Uh, I've got one here from a texture. I'm going to add a little bit to it as well, Dr. Janney. How much protection does a person have after only one dose of vaccine that was sent in? If you can talk about that and also the importance of that second shot. Why is it so important? Right. That's a great question. So what we've seen for at least the mRNA vaccines, we've got a great study that came out of the U.S. CDC on one versus two shots. And what we found was that the protection for one shot is actually pretty good. It's above 80%. So that's really good news for this idea of a one-shot summer or spreading the doses around to people. What happens with the second shot, though, is you get that longer-lasting memory. So what we don't know is how long that first shot lasts. We know it's at least a couple months, 
but that is likely to fade within five, six months. So we need to get that booster in. The other thing the booster is doing is it's actually really amping up the protection against the variants. So the first shot works okay, but if you get that second shot, the protection against those variants of concern goes up quite dramatically. So we really need people, once it's their turn, to remember to get in and get that second shot. Good good reminder for sure. How about this one? Uh, somebody just texted in, do you recommend pregnant women get the vaccine? And then somebody else asked about nursing moms. Right. So uh, as a non-MD, I'm not going to make direct medical recommendations, but I will point them at the Society of Canadian Obstetricians and Gynecologists who are recommending that they get that shot. So take a look at their web resources and have that conversation with your primary health care provider. So the, the consensus statement and also at NACI is that vaccination is safe for pregnant women and that it can be protective for a newborn through a mother's milk. So we can give some antibodies to the baby as well. But each person is different, each situation is different, mm-hmm. and they really need to talk with their primary health care provider about that. Here's one. Uh, can you ask Dr. Janney when I can go get my shingles vaccine? I had the AstraZeneca shot 30 days ago. So is this a concern? I've not seen any uh, direct concerns. 30 days is is often a a reasonable gap between vaccines. Uh, Again, individual people may have different underlying medical conditions. So quickly give a call to your doctor, figure out if that would be a a, a good time to go. But I've not seen anything from NACI or Health Canada that would say 30 days is not sufficient. So they should be safe. But again, please check with your, your doctor. Somebody asking, why are people who have the antibodies because they've been affected with COVID not talked about in terms of what they can and cannot do to avoid restrictions, etc.? Right. Once again, that's a great question. So we do know that people that have that have recovered and have antibodies are somewhat protected, and that's great news. They are contributing to our community-level protection. What we have seen, though, over the last year is that these antibodies in many people fade pretty quickly. So we see a measurable loss of antibodies sometimes as early as six weeks after they recovered. So they have protection, but they don't have that long-lasting memory that you get from the vaccine. The other thing we have seen, especially in Europe and in South Africa, are people that recovered from that initial strain of virus from 2020, the, the, the predominantly circulating one last year, have very poor protection to the variants. And we actually see reinfection quite commonly with the variants. Mm. So again, it's, it's protective, but it is not the same as vaccination. Dr. Janney, you've done it again. I think we had uh, 1,900 questions answered in uh, eight minutes. Thank you so much uh, once again for your time. You guys are both very welcome, and, uh, and take care. You too. Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. 642, mornings with Sue and Andy. Do you know what code pink is? That's the code used in hospitals to declare a pediatric emergency. It's also the hashtag being used in a campaign by Children First Canada to raise the alarm about the mental health of kids during the pandemic. We're joined now by Kelsey Beeson, CFC's Manager of Program, to discuss their campaign. Good morning to you, Kelsey. Good morning, Andy. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. First of all, uh, would you say that we can actually call it a mental health emergency among our kids at this point? It's a great question, and I would say with confidence, yes. Um, Before the pandemic, uh, suicide was the leading cause of death for children 10 to 14 years old, and the second leading cause of death for kids 15 to 24. 
And since the pandemic has happened across Canada, we're seeing a hundred percent increase in admissions related to suicide attempts. And so I think that is absolutely an emergency. Can we blame this solely on the COVID pandemic or was there more leading up to this? Canada has always, um, or previously, I should say, was quite a leader in children's wellness. But over the past <clears throat> 10 to 15 years, we've actually fallen drastically. We are currently in 30th place out of 38 similarly affluent countries um, for how we're doing and taking care of our children and in child wellness. So this has been um, predated. We've been falling as a country in terms of how we're taking care of our children. And the pandemic is exacerbating that. Mm. Kelsey, let's talk about the resources and availability, not just in our city, uh, but, uh, you know, our province and, and the country for that matter. Do we have enough resources mm-hmm. to tackle this issue with children's mental health? So what we're really hoping for is really not necessarily just enough resources, but innovative and new mental health models that are really going to urgently meet the needs of children. I think it's about figuring out how young people are currently connecting to mental health support and how do we have to have them connected to those in a pandemic reality and then also as we move through this pandemic. So Kelsey, what are you calling for with your hashtag code pink campaign? What do you, what do you need from us? What can we do? Yeah, so what I would ask you to do is get yourself on social media. Draw an emergency cross on your hand in pink, a marker, lipstick, paint, Take a selfie with yourself holding that picture up to the camera and share your post on social media and tell others why this is a code pink from your family's experience. I know you both are parents as well. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what's happening for our children um, and explain why you're declaring this code pink. Yeah, Kelsey, we are parents. So I'm wondering, you know, obviously, I I would think it's a, a fair generalization to say we've spent more time with our kids over the past 14 months than Absolutely. perhaps any time in the history of their lives. So, <laughs> so how, being so close to them for so many hours, how can we spot issues with our children's mental health and, and uh, you know, understand it's not just fatigue or, you know, being a little bored, but it's mental health? Yeah, and that's a really nuanced question, you know, and I think that as you are spending more time with them, listen carefully, watch closely, look for changes that just seem off to you as a parent, right? I mean, you know your children well. Um, I'm doing the same with my children right now. I had to check in with my little one the other day because there was something about his behavior that was just a little off. He was lingering around me in, a, in an odd way. And I was like, buddy, what's going on? And it turns out he was feeling a bit anxious. So we sat down and had a conversation about it. Um, but what I would say is that You know, try and have a conversation. And if it's not going, if you're not sure what else to do, contact your GP, contact your pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, parents as well as children can call or text kids help phone as a way to get support. Um, So just keeping in mind that there's options out there for for all of us right now as we try to support children in, in getting through this pandemic. I think that's a great point that, you know, the kids help phone, that's a number that we've put in both of our kids' phones. So they have it. They don't have to worry about it or think about it. It's right there for them. And there is help available if needed. And we do need to keep our eyes open. It's a difficult time. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Kelsey. Appreciate your time. Yes, Sue, Andy, both. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That is Kelsey Beeson, Children First Canada, manager of program there. So childrenfirstcanada.org is where you can go and look for some more information on hashtag code pink. 8.43 mornings with Sue and Andy. Samantha Kovlaschanyu is the TikTok coach 
That's actually her website name. She's a 30-something mother of two who is killing it on TikTok and teaching her clients to do the same. Samantha joins us now. Good morning to you, Sam. Hi, Andy. Hi, Sue. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. So give us, a, give us a, an insight as to what you're teaching dentists, lawyers, gym owners, coaches, social media managers, marketers, and even the parents out there who just want to keep up with the times. What do you teach them? Oh, I teach them to be one of the first movers on TikTok to teach evergreen content for their audience. So TikTok is exploding and it's been downloaded over 2 billion times. Of those numbers, you have about 800 million active users on there on any given week. Instagram, it took Instagram about six years. It took TikTok about three. And it's not slowing down. Okay, so we have people, you know, the kids for the most part doing dances, doing all that crazy stuff that, you know, we know TikTok for. But why would a business or a brand get on the platform and what do they do? Yeah, so there's so much knowledge sharing on there. Um it's an opportunity to to be a thought leader in a space that was never thought as uh, as for teenagers, right? Instagram started out just for kids. It's Sue, Andy, I'm sure you guys would have jumped on back in 2009, knowing where it is today. Mm. It's the same with TikTok. Um, it's an opportunity to show up as a thought leader in a space uh, and educate and share knowledge. I give a whole laundry list of the businesses and professionals that you, that you help coach on TikTok. Are there any businesses that wouldn't be a good fit for TikTok? Are there certain parameters? No, not at all. Um, the like the dentists, the lawyers, the accountants that I'm coaching right now, uh, they're using it as a marketing tool to um, not only present themselves as a go-to expert, but also entertaining and, and, and teaching in a very creative manner that you would never thought was possible and, and to absorb that content in a, in a short attention span video app way. So Sam, you know, I honestly, I don't spend a lot of time on TikTok, but if I want to find something, you know, kind of with like-minded people, how do I find that on there? Well, the way you first start out with Sue, I would say, I would suggest you to start downloading the, download the app today mm-hmm. and then start absorbing because the algorithm will start tailoring content to what Sue likes to watch. Like Andy, I, I heard that you're a barbecue guy, right? Yes. Uh, did you know that there's a, a trend going on on TikTok where people are tagging Gordon Ramsay on there to uh, to get his feedback on their grilling skills. Ooh. And Gordon Ramsay is actually replying back and being like, oh, no, don't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> and it's hilarious, the reaction that he's doing. I'm wondering, though, like it seems kind of overwhelming, Sam, again, for people on the outside looking in. We've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Do we have to be present on all of them or are can we pick and choose? Do we have to be omnipresent? Oh, I, I 100 percent agree. I mean, you don't want to be burned out. You want to be where your audience is. Right. Um, the stats I just gave you where there's 800 million active users on TikTok of those 800 million active users. You have about 350 million active users over the age of 30 who are spending about 80 minutes a day on TikTok. And just to compare that same demographic on Instagram and Facebook, they're spending about 30 minutes. So double the amount of time. So go where your audience is. TikTok is one of them. Clubhouse is another one that I would absolutely advocate, not just for entrepreneurs, but for people who want to learn from other experts as well.
So don't slough off these uh, social media platforms as, you know, just being for the kids. Jump on and, and be the the one that's getting in at the start of things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and Sue, I, I believe Sue and Andy, you guys have teenagers, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of, this is more reasons to be on a platform where your teenagers are at. You've got to be in the spaces where they are in so you understand how they are interacting on there and what those ecosystems look like. And follow them an to op- make sure we can keep them in, in check. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We have to let you but go, also- Sam. Sorry for time, but thank you so much. I'm sure we'll have you on again and we'll talk more about social media. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sue and Andy. Thank Bye. you. That is Samantha Kovlas-Chanyu, who is a business owner and a TikTok coach, and you can find her at the tiktokcoach.ca.